interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. Uh, it is, spring has sprung. It is hot. And then it's cold, but it's uh, when I was running yesterday, oh my goodness, 70 degrees when you're moving feels really, really hot. And I was all excited about doing the Lincoln Half Marathon, but now it's like, I don't know, I don't want to like sweat and get hot that way. In May, you're hoping it'll be cool. But in any case, uh, it's a very good real possibility that the week from tomorrow, uh, if you're watching the people run by in the marathon, you might see me. Uh, so I'm going to wear red, I think. And, uh, and if you shout out my name, shout it loud because I'll be listening to music. But I would love to wave at you. So uh, say hello, I'll wave, and we'll all have a good time. Um, on Friendly Fire today, somebody I've been trying to get in here for a while, and a topic I've been wanting to address more directly for quite some time uh, is uh, Dr. Brad Riddle, who's an old friend of mine. Uh, and um, uh, we, we know each other from uh, uh, pastoring days, and, uh, and then Brad, for the last uh, several years, was a uh, therapist here in town. And uh, so he is Dr. Brad Riddle and, uh, and had a very, very active full practice. And I just wanted to bring him in here today to uh, talk about some of the dynamics of what we've all been going through in COVID. Uh, welcome to the studio, Brad. Thank you. Good to be with you, Stu. I could call you Dr. Brad Riddle every time, or I could just... <laughs> Call don't, you. Let's not waste my time or yours. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't call you Doctor Stu every moment. Well, that's true. That's so. True. Let's not. Okay. Let's just let's cut straight to Brad and Stu. I like that. Okay, that is good. Now uh, we're going to talk about um, again your work. Uh, how many years, by the way, did you have a, a your own practice? Uh, I we came here from Fremont years ago, nineteen ninety. I had a private counseling practice there for five years, and I had a private practice. In Lincoln for 11, and of course, working in the church, you do counseling throughout. So yes. total 30-plus-ish yeah. in that ballpark. Yeah, and and I would just say this. In, in pastoral work, we all do counseling. Some of us do it well, like you, <laughs> and some of us are kind of uh, hit and miss. There, I always joke that, uh, that the professional therapist, you know, you go to the— uh, you go to one of those mechanics, and they got that big toolkit, and they got all all the drawers mm -hmm. and all the different things in there. See, that's a therapist. Okay. I'm like, I got a screwdriver and a hammer. That's it. <laughs> well, as, as long as you know which one to use, you're good. Yeah. Well, I guess you know everything. You know, if you, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. There, right? Well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a, a long, long time you've been doing this. Now we uh, we first got connected not through your uh, therapy uh, work, but through your pastoral work. Yeah. Uh, boy, I, we, how long have we known each other? It's got to be. We came, I, we came in December of 90, so that's 30 plus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and that's when I came back too. Yep. So it's, it's got to be, yeah. In that it's a range. while. It is. A, it is a while. Think about how many people have you known for three decades? You know? Uh, many. You're many. That's <laughs> and you're true. one of the good ones too. Well, it's, well, and a part of that is because we've both been in Nebraska for a long time. Yep. So a lot of, a lot of long-term relationships and yep. so forth. Um, and, and you had uh, uh, many different roles, but most of those years, again, you always talk about Fremont a little bit, and then your years at Christ Place, mm -hmm. uh, and a couple of different roles there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what made you say, after uh, having this combo kind of pastor-counselor role, what made you say, you know, I think, I think uh, full-time therapist is, uh, 
is is what I'm going to do for a while. Uh Probably because I think it's a sensed effectiveness a little bit. You know, in pastoral ministry, it's generally, it's a generalist position, um, and that's okay. Uh, My work at Christ Place was really two different things. It was kind of a senior associate, so that was missions, and it was counseling, and it was staff oversight, and it was teaching, and all those things. And then Mm -hmm. ultimately, for a while, the lead pastor, and that's, those are fine. I just felt like, the therapy thing was a real world that made sense to me, and I think that was mm-hmm. a, a unique, distinct thing. Mm-hmm. I had a master's in it. I got my doctorate in it, and so I kind of wanted to go back to yeah. that world yeah. a little more narrowly. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, church ministry, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the Fremont years, but uh, Christ Place is a large church, yes. and uh, there's definitely a different kind of dynamic of a large church uh, working with a large staff yes. than the typical, you know, a typical American church probably has, you know, 70 people and one pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christ Place has a lot more than that, uh, both in people and pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were some of the unique dynamics of working on a lar- in a large church? Well, there's a greater sense of team, mm. a greater sense of support, some, a mm-hmm. greater sense of how do we work together as a team and some mm-hmm. of the differences of personality and those kinds of things. Uh, I think those are really true things and the structures are different. I cut down to the basic, and I think it's it's about people. Mm-hmm. How do you engage people? How do you structure to do that effectively? How do you develop people that can do that, right? Jesus mm-hmm. selected 12 and came down to 11 and 3 that were pretty important. Mm-hmm. I think that's discipleship at a, at a minimal level, and I think mm-hmm. that's what you're working at, smaller or larger settings. Who do we, yeah. who do we identify? Who do we shape? Who do we model? Who do we support? Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, it's really the same thing. It's just bigger. Are there differences? Sure. Mm-hmm. There's more involved in administration. There's more involved in leadership styles, in a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But it's still about uh, faith and God and people and what he wants for us. So yeah, a, I notice more of the commonality than the difference. And Well, in the, uh, in the, in the role that you played at Christ Place, in, in the various roles, how much of it was shepherding the shepherds? as opposed to shepherding the average congregational person? It depended on the assignment I was given because I was doing staff oversight, and that's a different mm. ballgame. Now, yeah. how do I help you? How do I encourage you? How do I uh, give resources to you? How do I say, hey, hey, let's talk about that, what actually happened? That's mm-hmm. different than the generic position I had at other points. Mm-hmm. So it depended on the amount of direct responsibility I had for them. Yeah. But I, I certainly do think there's a need and an opportunity to support everybody in leadership, regardless of the structure or the the church or the environment, because leadership has its own unique challenges and gifts. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, I, then kind of pivoting a little bit here to uh, the last two years. And uh, in my experience, and, uh, and, and you were kind of transitioning out of uh, your practice at that time, uh, I've never seen anything like this in the life of the church. And and part of it is because of, uh, okay, I've been through two fires, and this is worse than that. And, and a part of what's worse about it is that we're all going through it together. There is no respite. There's no place you can go where somebody isn't experiencing this. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just like in Lincoln or in Nebraska or in the United States, but in the world. Uh, it's a very, very unique thing. How does that... Um, is this the first experience that, that many therapists have had with the kind of a worldwide pandemic or something that is so broad reaching that it, that to some degree it seems to touch everybody? Uh, it seems to me like I've not experienced that in my lifetime. 
I think in this country it has. In other countries where there there's more of these kinds of health threats, mm-hmm. et cetera, maybe not. But, yeah, I think it certainly has been for me. I think the difference is the fire's an event that has an effect. The pandemic is an ongoing series of events that mm-hmm. just keeps rolling, and it, so its impact is continual. It's not that it's happened and we adjust. It keeps happening, and we mm-hmm. have to continue to adapt as it's evolving, really. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, you know, maybe I don't know if this is a good parallel or not, but maybe World War II would be the last mm-hmm. time that there really was kind of a global mm-hmm. uh, crisis that mm-hmm. everybody was kind of tuned into and and uh, if, if affected by. Maybe, maybe. Yep. Um, there, okay. And there's a there's a physical cost of the disease and of the protections that are required and so forth, but. Specifically today, the uh, the mental cost. Um, and I don't know if you've kind of uh, how how closely you followed this, but it, but in my, I would just say in my observations and and everything I've heard in the media that anxiety and depression have have just skyrocketed. Is is that I, your impression? I think that's that's not in question. The question is how much. For example, Doctor Vanderstall from John Hopkins a person that's working in this field and noted that by their estimate and national stats, increased depression and anxiety in a range of 24 to 26% up since the pandemic. Mm. And that's reported. So you don't mm. know what's out there that's not being reported. So yeah, yeah you're, you're signif- seeing very significant shifts in yeah. the overall mental health issues of what this nation is experiencing. And, and that's generic. I wonder, and I don't know the stats, mm-hmm. what's the impact, I think, increased for people directly affected, healthcare workers, teachers, mm-hmm. all those service-oriented people for whom have been asked and needed to bear even more than many of us. So I wonder mm-hmm. what the rates are for them, actually, that may even be larger than that. Yeah. There's also increased drug use, Sleep disturbance is much more frequent. All those are kind of evidences of this increased uh, uh, depression and anxiety. And frequently those go together. They're not the same, but they, they can easily be experienced similarly at the, at the same time sometimes. Yes, yes. Um, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, I, I think one of the reasons it's hard to also get these stats is because sometimes don't, people don't know that what they're experiencing is anxiety or it is depression. Um, and, uh, so I'd like to explore that just a little bit with you. Is that okay? Works for me. All right. You're running this. So yeah. Hey, well, you know, you could resist, but resistance (laughs) is futile. So uh, don't do that. You're the man. And there you go. (laughs) Stu Kearns talking with Dr. Brad Riddle today. And we're going to unpack some of the impact here of, uh, of COVID, anxiety, depression, all those sorts of things. Glad you're along. Freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started here. You're listening to Friendly Fire on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Uh, uh, Talking today with uh, Dr. Brad Riddle. He is a therapist, uh, currently retired. You know, uh, there's a lot of work out there, uh, Brad. You could probably uh, open up the shingle again and and, uh, and, uh, (laughs) have... A pretty active business. I have no doubt there's a demand. I'll put it that way. Yes. Yes. Yep. Well, uh, in any case, um, oh, you were talking about then, again, statistically, uh, the numbers are higher. Uh, I don't know. Is that, uh, that seems pretty significant. If it's 20 to 25% higher 
Is that statistically significant? Oh, it's very significant. I mean, how many people does it have to be? If you have a million people, now you have 1.25. So mm. when you do that, you're realizing those, this is this is significantly beyond what is norm, okay. no question. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I would still argue it may be higher because we don't know how many aren't reporting, yes, right? Yes, yes. And that's where I wanted to actually pick up on that theme because I, I think for a lot of people um, – Again, I have I've wrestled with anxiety in my life. I think for the first time during COVID, I dipped my toe into depression, uh, but I don't think I was ever. I mean, according to definitions of clinical depression, I'm just I'm too optimistic to stay there for too long. I it just doesn't work. But um, but I have I've seen a number of people who who uh, they would say they've never ever experienced any kind of anxiety or depression, but it's very clear to me that they are. They're experiencing that. What are some of the classic signs of either anxiety or depression? Again, they're similar in some ways, but not the same. What are some of the things that if if someone were listening and is saying, "Hey, I, I don't know, am I am I anxious? Am I depressed? What were, what would be some of the diagnostic questions or or uh, uh, thoughts you'd you'd want to ask them to kind of clarify it? Yeah, let's look at what we call generalized. Uh anxiety disorder, which is maybe the most frequent one, distinct from phobias and some of those other kind of things. What are yeah. what are the evidence of those? Uh, preoccupation, difficulty sleeping, changes in eating behaviors, um, uh, fixation on specific issues that you can't address, This what we would call anticipatory. You're always looking towards what might happen and then mm. kind of reliving that or expecting that. Mm. Though it's not happening, you're anticipating it. And so you're yeah. anxious, though there may not be anything specific out there. Yeah. It may be also, you know, phobias, those kinds of things may be elicited more fear of a specific object or behavior or pattern, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, you know, yeah, whether it's flying or dirt or whatever those those might be, that those are anxiety. But I think the 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 biggest understanding of anxiety is a preoccupation that's fearful. Mm. Uh, and by the way, I know that OCD is its own thing, obsessive compulsive. But many of the things you described have an element of that. That, that and I know for myself, if I'm in a bad place and I get a thought rolling around in my head, usually in the middle of the night. I have a hard time getting rid of it mm -hmm. and uh, and hard time kind of pushing through that. So is there... That's the obsessive piece, right? The yeah. rumination over it, the mm -hmm. preoccupation with it that just yeah. keeps churning, the what if or what did happen. And, you're, you know, you're fixated on it in a sense. You really can't mm -hmm. move past it. Yeah. The compulsive piece is behaviors associated designed to reduce it. Okay. Those are, that's a different piece, right? That's, okay. that's O-C... The gotcha. uh, obsessive compulsive is the compulsive piece. So okay. that's why those are different. But the definition, anxiety is dominantly some feared object or event and or preoccupation about it that really is, you know, can tell it continuing. Yeah, yeah. One of the phrases that I've been uh, I've been introduced to, maybe, and I'm, I'm sure I didn't think this one up, but... Um, and many of those fears then come from the illusion of control, uh, the the illusion that somehow I can control my environment, I can control my life, I can control my circumstances, my family, my job. That uh, and I've and I've come to realize that a part of breaking through that is understanding that 
it is an illusion. We actually have very little control over, I mean, hardly anything when, you, when it really comes down to it. Is that overstating it? Uh, I don't think it's overstating. I think I would just simply note that it's a desire for control to define what does and doesn't happen and how we respond, which I think goes back to why the virus is so difficult, such a large sense of the absence of control, mm. right? That's why there's so a preoccupation of the shots or non-shots, the mask, the non-mask. Does it actually happen? Does it actually help? Is, mm-hmm. Are we able to restrict or limit what occurs, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the medical you know, stats about that and all those. But I do think it is uh, the desire to control things we want to avoid or control what we do want to, uh, you know. And in a way, maybe that's kind of a, a theological issue to me, uh, yeah. that it means we struggle with knowing our own limits and mm-hmm. embracing our limits, plus and minus recognizing as I understand the scriptures, there's one only one being in all of the universe that is actually in control, and yeah, and, they, and, and it, you and me, and he ain't doing it the way I want him to sometimes, and yes. that's my own issue, right? Yeah. So yes. I do think it's that God likeness about us that wants to dictate outcomes and yeah. consequences or not. Now I think now to continue to be uh, theological about this. I think, okay, I'm a good Christian. I know God is God, and he has a plan, and he work, he's working, he's good, and so that ought to be enough, right? That's all I need to know is that God is good, and he works with purpose, and, and so I'm rehearsing that in my mind. But, and then when I'm unable to do that, then I dogpile on myself for being a bad Christian because I know these things, and I can't, I can't practice these things when I need them most. And so I should be just trusting God, and then I and then I feel this shame and guilt because boy, actually I'm not trusting God. I'm I'm anxious. I'm 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 trying to control things that I know only He can control. Do Christians, in some ways, kind of have it have it kind of worse that way? We kind of self-recriminate. I think that's the potential, right? We ought to, but that's a general thing. We ought to be yeah. somewhere we're not. Yes. Right. And so mm-hmm. in some ways, that's, again, back to either our own guilt or the teaching we've had about where we ought to be or all those varying factors. Yeah. But the truth is, my understanding is uh, we're only in a process of growth and becoming mm. Ephesians. You are now new in Christ and yet we're still becoming that kind of person. Yeah. So I think it misses the reality that we are and we're still becoming right yes. instead of because I am, I ought to have already become. Yes. It's an have done thing. Well, that's not. I don't think that's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians. Yeah. And I don't think that's how it actually works. There yeah. is absolutely a becoming. I'm comforted when I think about the last week of Jesus' life and what's anguished in some ways, comforted in that he was pretty human. He, mm-hmm. the last night, said, Father, if there's any other way, mm-hmm. I really don't want the cup. I don't want the suffering. I don't want all of this. Mm-hmm. Why would he do that? He knew the outcomes, right? Yeah. Because he told them, in three days I'll rise. He knew that. Yeah. That didn't diminish the 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 tragedy and the brutality and the anguish and the and the sin that he would embrace. So I think yeah. we shouldn't be surprised that we get to those points when we say yes, but mm-hmm. right. Yes. And he said, oh, "But I'll submit to it, but it's difficult, right?" I think that's yeah. That's what's distinct about him and not us always. So yeah, yeah. I think the guilt thing, unfortunately, is a, a massive one. I think. For, all, for many people, but particularly it could be generated if we think we're supposed to be someone that we're not, and we don't know how to reconcile that. Yeah, which 
Welcome to the Christian life. I mean, I think you stated it well. I mean, that's the sometimes in our circles we talk about already and not yet. And that's the okay, already we're forgiven and we're, you know, as white as snow in, in the in the eyes of God through the work of Christ. But but I know me and I know my heart and I know that God is still doing stuff and it's it's so experientially and uh, you know, theologically, yes, but experientially it's, I'm not there. I think maybe that's why I'm interested that Paul in Ephesians and Galatians is where there's there's tension right between flesh and spirit. Mm-hmm. His he acknowledges that and and he defaults to something very powerful, which Jesus did, the growing and deepening work of the Spirit to bring mm-hmm. transformation. Mm-hmm. That's not something we do. That's yeah. something we learn to collaborate with that he's doing. How yes. do I cooperate with the Spirit? How do yeah. I activate that? How do I learn yeah. to listen? And, you know, it tells us in Luke 4, Jesus came full of the Spirit. He didn't do anything until that happened. Well, mm. if he needs that, I yeah. would think we ought to at least. I'm, I'm kind of being facetious. So yeah. even even the process of that, I think, needs to be clear. How do we learn to cooperate and collaborate with what God has done and continues to do instead of yeah. how do I do it differently? Because yeah. that still comes back to us as the generator of the change. I don't see that happening yeah yeah it uh, reminds me is that where the is that text where gi pecker had a famous book called keep in step with the spirit mm. and uh it's like there there is there's this collaborative work that the holy spirit is doing in his people um and we and we can resist the spirit ultimately the spirit's going to win but uh we can resist that okay time for another break and we're going to come back I want to talk a little bit about then the difference between anxiety and depression and then we're going to turn the corner into some solutions how do we, uh, how do we, uh, what, is, what are some ways that we, we can actually cope better and, and, uh, and, and, and get through this more effectively? Sound good? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. Uh, you're listening to uh, Stu Kearns and Dr. Brad Riddle here uh, on Friendly Fire, the voice of Lincoln here, 1499 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday uh, talking with Dr. Brad Riddle here. He's uh, been a licensed therapist for a long time. And uh, before the break, we were talking about, again, well, a variety of things and how Christians uh, have uh, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in them to help them uh, persevere through these, uh, uh, these, this growth that we're all going through. Uh, I wanted to jump a little bit ahead into um, what I've seen is not only anxiety that's been spiking, but also depression. And I have sometimes described them as cousins. There, there are a lot of similarities, but, but they're not exactly the same. How would you describe that relationship between anxiety and depression? Let me just describe depression because we talked a little bit about anxiety early. Depression is more uh, negative, down, less energy less difficult, uh, more difficulty sleeping, less ability to focus, changed in eating the habits, habits rather. Um, so it's a diminishment, right? The, sometimes anxiety is an elevation, mm. right? You're on edge. Yeah. Uh, depression is kind of the other side of that, the backside of the desert in which uh, harder to think clearly, very negative perspectives, the world looks gray, I have very little motivation, I have maybe limited mobility in the most extreme uh, forms of depression, so it's a more depleted, mm. uh, limited kind of sense of capacity and and view of the world and of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I've 
I've run into a number of people who have had some version of, I just didn't want to get out of bed. And uh, is that, uh, that to me sounds more like depression it than is anxiety. Very much so. Yeah. yeah because again, they're, they're, the, the sleep is altered. Their energy is diminished. They're having, in fact, they'll be more depressed probably in the morning than in any other time. Mm. Uh, and so that's a harder, you know, blue mornings. I, I have a hard time getting going. I don't have any motivation. I don't know what the day is about. I don't really want to face it. All those kind of avoidant, mm. diminished uh, kinds of responses. Yeah, yeah. So how do we? Uh, let's let's at least start turning the corner. If if for I'm I'm just guessing again uh, that the listeners out there, uh, many of them have to some degree experienced again an elevated degree of anxiety or depression. When you're when you begin to, uh, how would you begin to? Uh, officially investigate this and think about it and, and begin to ask questions about uh, what I need to do to uh, to address this. Mm -hmm. If I could make a distinction because I'm back to, because we kind of started this as the precipitating event is the pandemic and all that that's causing. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to jump into that and say, I think there's some practical life adjustments. Vandersall, Vandersdahl actually noted from John Hopkins Reestablish daily routines. They've been so disrupted. Start basically. Mm. If we try to go for big solutions, we rarely get them. They're mm. too large. Start small. Increase self-care. Get up. Eat more reasonably. Those kinds of things are important. Clean up, right? Uh, cautionary use of drugs and alcohol. In fact, I saw my uh, general physician a few months ago, and that was one of the first questions he asked. What's happening with my drug use? Because they're... The physicians are getting, you know, alerted to this and they're mm. facing that also. Mm. And if it's uh, it's really life limiting and you don't feel like you can move on, get some professional help. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't mind doing that if it's the car or the house. Right. We call the guy in to work on the furnace. Yeah. You know, the engine blows up. I'm not working on it. So but I think there's a hesitance or a caution about that. I think sometimes even or particularly in the Christian community, it was like that. If I were kind of back to, if I really had it together, I wouldn't need to. Yeah. And that un misunderstanding prevents us from getting the assistance that we actually need. Mm -hmm. So I think that those are the kind of things that come to me. If we could jump to some clear research, Arden and Linford are neuropsychologists, wrote a book, Brain-Based Therapy with Adults. Here's what we really know, that our lifestyle directly impacts our resilience. I don't know if you mm. like physics, but it's... I didn't learn much, but I learned two things. <laughs> One of them is called tensile strength. What it measures is the ability of metal to bend mm. and come back to its prior shape and strength. Steel is pretty high in tensile strength. Aluminum, not so much. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can move aluminum around the pop can. You just can't get it back to that shape, right? Mm -hmm. So tensile strength measures the capacity of metal. That's mm -hmm. a, a, a picture of resilience. Can we bend and come back to the prior shape and strength is really the question. Mm. So the research by Arden and Linford really does a lot of stuff about brain function and what impacts the brain and those kinds of things. But they end up saying this basic thing, we can make lifestyle changes that both prevent and recover from mental health issues. Not mm. exclusively, right? I still think there's a need for therapy. That may be an element. Mm. 
So mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. By the way, Mike and Ga- Mike and Baum is the guy that did an meta analysis of trauma and the effects on resilience. So he, he re- did all the research that reviewed all the research literature and came up with this the literature with, with one response. The number one coping strategy at the time for trauma in the U.S. was reliance on some element of spirituality. Mm. General definition of spirituality. So our nation is looking to spiritual resources, however they define that, to cope with what's compressing them, what's bending them, what's mm. shaping them out of their norm, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we're, it's reasonable to talk about that for a lot of reasons, but one is because the research says that's what people default to. Mm. So Arden and Linford really make the statement, our lifestyle strategies can increase resilience, why do we know that? Because the brain neuroplasticity, the brain changes, adapts, and grows. We're not stuck. Mm-hmm. The, the phrase, you can't teach a dog new tricks, really isn't what the research says. Mm-hmm. We can if we're in clear, intentional, and, and keep repeating it. So mm-hmm. this is called the SEEDS, S-E-E-D-S strategy. Mm-hmm. Arden and Linford. It mm-hmm. really represents lifestyle changes. So I just want to cover those for a minute if I could do that with yeah, you and then you yeah. can ask questions if you want to. Yeah. Seeds, S, E, E, D, S, seeds, S, social support network. Mm-hmm. We're social beings. What that means, it's a qualitative kind of relationship. It involves physical contact, emotional investment, and verbal honesty, plus and minus, negative and positive. Physical, mm. emotional, verbal. Mm. That Noting that, I think, says why I'm concerned that so much of life has become just via the Internet, just virtual. Yes. It's it's immediate, it's convenient, but it's not physical, and it's harder to be invested, and it's much less effective, right? So physical contact, emotionally invested, verbally honest, social support network. I think that's really critical because... The number one predictor of recovery from surgery is a support network. Mm. We're so closely connected, Stu, between social and physical that once you start uh, neglecting the one, the other ones are going to pay a real price. Yes. You know, the all the pastors I know intuitively knew that, that when COVID hit, and uh, at least for a few weeks, you know, most of us were shut down, and, and then we went to virtual, and then we tried to... But uh, but almost every pastor I knew had this instinct that we got to find a way to get back together somehow, and that's when we started doing drive-in uh, church, uh, just because it, again, it was super safe. But and and my wife thought it was very hokey, and she was like, ah, I don't know this is going to be. And so we, the very first time we did it, uh, I, of course, I'm worried about all the details. This is new, and I'm trying to make it work. And and so I'm I didn't have a great experience. And so I just asked her, well, what did you think? Was it kind of hokey? She said it was wonderful. I didn't know how much I needed to see these people, even if it was just in their cars, and 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 just to be outside a little bit and and to communicate with them. There's something real that happens when people gather that can't happen online. No, and we just been able to bear witness and rejoice in Jesus' unfortunate death, burial, resurrection. But the last night, I'm interested in what he did, and part Mm -hmm. of it was social. They are, as a group, going to celebrate the Passover. Mm. He washed their feet, 
they leaned against him. It's physical stuff. Yes, yes. Emotional. I'm anguished. I love you. Mm-hmm. I care about you. I'm praying for you. And you're going to blow it. Mm. No, I'm not. Uh, yes, you are. I'm not. I uh, Right? Back and forth. This honesty, plus and minus. Yeah. But Peter, when you've recovered, restore the others. I mean, right? It's yeah. straight up, honest. Yeah. No, no games. Mm. He asked for their prayer. He asked, be with me in this mm-hmm. pray right all these things are they're done corp corporately right communally yes. and i think yeah. when we try to go on our own we're in deep trouble absolutely so social support is the first one okay second we'll take a is, break right there hang on to that thought i'll try to it's our last break and then we're going to come back uh and uh we're going to pick up right where we left off uh you're listening to friendly fire on the voice of lincoln 1499.3 klin Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday uh, talking with Dr. Brad Riddle. And I just had to cut you off for the break, but get our last break in. But you were, uh, you were in the middle of a thought. If you can, recover it. I can't, so I'm going on to E. Okay, support, go for it. Social support. Yes. The E is exercise. 30 minutes, rapid walking. Three times a week. Mm. Kicks up as much serotonin as antidepressants. Mm. Is the number one influence of positive biochemical change, more than therapy or medications. Mm. Creates 30% increase of thyroxin. Feels like increased energy. Literally creates a feeling. Lastly, increases active hippocampy growth. Better memories, faster cognitive processing. Mm-hmm. exercise at minimal levels. We're an excessive culture. If I don't have a membership, I'm not working on an hour and a half, I'm not in a club, what's the point? Minimal. Rapid walking three times a week for 30 minutes increases all of that. Wow. More effectively than therapy and any other drug we have. Yeah. We are physical people, yes. right? Social support, exercise. E, third one is education. Give your brain something new to learn. The brain doesn't function well as well multitasking or alternate tasking. We need to learn to think deeply. Mm. Give your brain something new. Meditate, reflect, simmer on things and let it work, right? Neuroplasticity says the brain adapts, the brain changes, the brain learns. So do something new. Take a book, read a book, take a class, engage in a new conversation to promote brain growth and stimulation, education, Mm. social, physical, intellectual. Mm. Last is diet. Food fuels the brain. It forms the building blocks for neurotransmitters. In other words, when I'm not sleeping well, I'm killing brain cells. Mm. Stress depletes vitamins B, C, and potassium. Welcome to the virus. Mm. Stress increases cholesterol. It's particularly chronic stress. Mm. It's sustained. It's ongoing. Mm. Cholesterol really damages the whole body. All mm. right? So if we're living under it and we're not doing the other things, we're really even in more trouble. Mm. High sugar levels contribute to anxiety and depression because we boost and crash. So when we're feeding ourselves too much sugar, too much of those kinds of things, we're actually increasing risk to anxiety Mm. and depression just because of the biochemical stuff that's going Mm. on. Sugar draws out vitamin B for digestion. Low vitamin B is associated with anxiety, depression, difficulty concentrating, negative bias, sleep dysregulation. 
too much sugar ain't good for us, mm. is the essence. Mm. And lastly, more than 250 milligrams of caffeine per day actually creates a clinical stressful neurochemical condition. How many cups of coffee would that be, roughly? Three. <laughs> three? Three. Okay. Energy drinks, three times eight is 240, so you're right on the edge. Mm. Three of those a day. Clinically, I'm making my body function as if it's clinically mm. stressful, which gets back to stress increases cholesterol. Mm. So they start co-influencing in negative ways, right? Yeah. So seeds, social support, education, exercise, education, diet, all of these. So here's, here's the overview. They co-influence. When I'm working out more, mm -hmm. I sleep better. Mm. I eat less. Mm. I exercise. When I'm with friends, I'm more energized because I'm more connected. Mm. So you don't get to pick two or three and it works. Yeah. It's the whole composite, so to speak, that really is effective yeah. at minimal levels. Yes. You don't have to have 40 best friends. Are you in touch with your good friends? Do you see them? Mm. Is it physical? Is it mm. honest? Is it emotional? Yeah. This was Jesus yeah. in his last weeks particularly. Yeah. So education, learn anything new. Mm. And it helps you. doesn't matter what it is because the brain reconnects. If we scan your brain and show you pictures of what you know, it kind of is bored. Me, me, it's not doing anything. We show you one picture it doesn't know, it lights up mm. because it goes, what is that? Yeah. Right? What What about these word games? Because we always say, I'm trying to fight off, you know, uh, I'm trying to keep my brain active and now everybody's playing Wordle. Is that... Is, 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 does that count, or is that just a, just kind of noodling around with words? It's helpful, but if you have a huge vocabulary, you haven't learned much new, have you? Right? <laughs> well, probably with five-letter words, I probably haven't <laughs> learned a whole lot. That's I think true. some of the stuff that's out there, though, is very helpful yeah. uh, because it, it forces kind of a sequencing of how the brain thinks it needs to attend, yeah. it needs to recall, it needs mm -hmm. to, right? And so mm -hmm. I think some of those games really are helpful because... The brain is flexible, neuroplasticity. Yeah, we yeah. can increase its function. We can protect, in some ways, some of those losses. So yeah. that really matters. So seeds, our lifestyle has a direct bearing on two things. Preventative, if I'm doing that, I'm less likely to experience depression and anxiety. And it's recuperative. Mm. I can recover more effectively yeah. If my lifestyle is healthy. Yeah. My doctor was saying that um, it's been now, uh, I don't know, between three and four years since I've had a panic attack. And he said that the more successfully I avoid them, that I'm actually retraining my brain to say, hey, you know, when you think that you're headed toward this, this panic, this anxiety, that your brain is now learning that, no, you, you don't have to do that. You can, you, there are other options and you can do something else. And so he was, he was kind of speaking then of that, this elasticity of the brain yep. is that, uh, in fact, he went so far as to say that, you know, I, uh, who knows, at some point I might be over the hump and, and never experience it again. Um, is that, is that the goal then is to, uh, or just to make progress? I guess it goes back to something you talked earlier about relative to spirituality. Why am I so frustrated? Why am I not where I ought to be? So if you say your goal is, for example, never to have another panic attack again, mm -hmm. you just increase the anxiety about it. Mm. If you learn how, what you do that decreases them or minimizes them or reduces the frequency or length, et cetera, now you have a skill that's done. 
So that's why seeds isn't a demand. It's an opportunity to learn to grow and become healthier, right? Yeah, yeah. Not that I'll never have unhealthy moments. Yeah. One of the things I also found, uh, I've had knee problems and my knees aren't great, but I decided it was so important to my uh, emotional and mental health to, to, I got to at least run a little bit. And it's that, I, you know, not very fast, but it's at least three times a week and it's always more than 30 minutes. Three and, out of five are physical. We're very earthy. Yes. Yes. Sleep, we, diet, exercise, and yeah. look at our lifestyles. Yes. And to me, when I look at the virus, they diminished. You didn't want to go anywhere. Couldn't yeah. be with your best friends. Yes. Couldn't actually touch anybody, even with your own yeah. children. We had family members who literally watched one of their uh, wife, a wife, pass away and couldn't be there because of the restraints, right? Mm-hmm. So all of that limited some of the more basic things we know about what helps us to function and how we're created to be. Yeah. Got just a minute left. If someone out there is saying, hey, okay, all right, I, uh, I do think I'm dealing with some of these things or have dealt with them. Is there a, a book or a recommendation you've had in terms of how to explore this more uh, to, uh, or, or a website or a, or a podcast or anything that would, that would be like, hey, I, I do want to think about this more, but I'm not sure where to turn and I'm not really necessarily ready to go to a therapist. Um, I would, two things. I'd say what we talked about today is a place to start. Change mm-hmm. your lifestyle. Gotcha. Right? Yep. And I'd caution you to avoid therapy, not to avoid therapy because you're not ready. How bad does it have to be before you get ready? Yeah. I think we need to do kind of preventative action earlier, and we don't have as far to go, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to be in here, Dr. Good to be with you again, Uh, Dr. 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 Stu. (laughs) Dr. Brad Riddle. He's a a great guy, a great pastor, and a great therapist, and I hope that you enjoy some retirement. And a friend. Let's get to the big stuff. And a great friend. Uh, we, we need some pizza soon. Yeah, maybe golf. All right, that sounds even better. Uh, I leave you as I always do, saying to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next time.